Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. We're at episode 12, so we are moving right along. Appreciate everybody watching, listening, subscribing, and commenting. Um, it's great, you know. Um, I am your host, Dr. Kyle Osborne, and of course, I'm never here by myself. I'm here with the funky, fresh, dressed, and pressed, ready to party, <laughs> Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, good brother? I'm good, bro. What's up with you, man? How are you today? We're here, man. You know, another week. You know, we we out here saving lives, man. This is what we do. Hey, man, can't complain, right? You know, busy, but ain't gonna complain about that, you know. Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. So, again, um, shout out to everybody listening, everybody watching. We appreciate your commenting. Um, we appreciate the subscribing. You know, uh, we're getting great feedback. You know, as you see, uh, Dr. J and I are are absolutely interactive with things. So we see the comments. We, you know, we respond and we're loving the conversation. We're loving the ideas. We're loving the topics that you guys are suggesting and, and giving us feedback on. So keep it coming. You know, uh, we, we love it. So and we definitely appreciate the support. So um, shout out to you guys, the listeners, the subscribers. Again, we appreciate all the love. All right. So we're going to start off with some um, things, that, some, some information, some current events in uh, pop culture. So recently, um, Dr. J, I uh, saw an article. We saw um, Willow Smith, which is the daughter of Jada and, and Will Smith. Um, she recently came out on a Red Table Talk, which is hosted by Jada Pinkett. Um, she recently came out and said, uh, announced that she is um, practicing polyamory or and she's a polyamorous. So uh, for a lot of people that don't or aren't aware of what polyamory is, um, it's a lifestyle which essentially, um, you know, you're not confined to being in a monogamous relationship. You know, you have right. the ability um, to have a relationship with other people, men, women, whatever, um, you know, sexual orientation they practice. It's, um, you know, so that's pretty much, I guess, the, you know, a, a broken down or a summary of what uh, polyamory is. Um, so, you know, I saw some bits and pieces um, of the conversation of the interview and it was interesting. And, you know, Jada does pretty decent work on her Red Table Talks. I love the family right. element of her, including like, you know, her, her grandma, I mean, um, her mom, Gammy, um, mm -hmm. in the conversations when she has her guest and then, you know, having her daughter on there. So I thought it was, uh, I, I love that element. So um, just viewing the interview, what, were your, what was your takeaway? What was your thought about it? Um, well, I was kind of looking at the dynamic, right? First, like the fact that, you know, you got kind of three generations that are having that kind of conversation, right? right. Um, that have that type of communication or relationship where they can have that type of um, conversation. Um, obviously, it's a big topic. A lot of people are talking about it. Kind of like the, I mean, obviously, you know, Willow Smith's choice, you know, it's her, it's her personal choice. So we're not kind of <clears throat> here to cast judgment on that. But talking about like the bigger issue in terms of like non-monogamous versus monogamous relationships or, you know, it was kind of interesting, right? Because a lot of the like when she was talking about her reasoning, she was talking about, you know, she said the main reason why, you know, divorces happen is infidelity, you know, and she was kind of talking about her perspective on it was basically talking about the 80-20 kind of, kind of thing, right? Like yeah. how people say, right? Like um, just because I can't, like I, I might not have the same sexual needs or other needs, you know, it's, does it mean that, that you can't have them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's two ways to look at this, you know what I mean? Like, and I know it's a it's a controversial thing, but I think it's just it's just interesting because one thing she said was she's like, I feel like the main foundation is the freedom to create a relationship style that works for you, right? Right. So if she's the type of person we're talking about consenting adults, you know what I mean? So if she 
and the people that she chooses to be in a relationship with, if they feel like that works for them, you know, you know what I mean? And it satisfies their needs. I mean, I don't really have a judgment and like a negative judgment about it. You know what I, you know what I mean? Um, whether or not it would be my lifestyle, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's probably not for me. I don't think I would be able to handle it. You know, more than one person, but more than one you person. know, <laughs> can't handle that, bro. It's like, hey man, can't listen, spread the love. <laughs> listen, <laughs> I can't, I can't handle it financially alone. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Financially yeah. alone, I'm out. But, but just in terms of the emotional kind of toll, um, and that kind of leads me into the next piece, right? Because that's that's kind of just you know what's going on in pop popular culture. But you know, we like to look kind of beneath the surface. So I looked at a, a like a study, right? And they were talking about mental health and you know, kind of like people who are who are like entrenched in that lifestyle, right? And then I live in that polyamorous lifestyle. And they were talking about like polyamorous versus monogamous wives. So they were looking at females. I, I think the sample here was about 200 people, you know what I mean? Um, and they were looking at self-esteem, marital satisfaction, life satisfaction, you know. Um, and, and a degree of agreement with the lifestyle, you know? And what I found was that was interesting is they found that the women in the polyamorous relationships had lower self-esteem or reported lower self-esteem. Mm. You know, they reported less life satisfaction, less marital satisfaction, you know, and more mental health symptomology, you know? Um, and I just thought that was interesting because they that's a relationship they chose to go into, you know what I mean? So I would have thought, um, again, that they would have either been equally, you know, kind of, they would have been comparably like equal in terms of what they were reporting, yeah. or they would have reported higher satisfaction personally, I, you know, um, but I don't know. What do you think about it? Um, I, I, I liked the, uh, the dynamic between the three generations was, um, was interesting to watch. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I believe that the controversy in um in this, this lifestyle, I think is really rooted in a lot of the misconception, right? So I think she talked about it a little bit. Willow talked about it where I think the misconception is a lot of people tend to think that, oh, well, it's just about sex, right? You know, you, you can right. have sex with so many different people where, um, where it's like, it's similar to like an open relationship, right? Or open marriage where right. it is different in the sense of, you know, I think open relationship more consists of, okay, if you and person A and person B are in a relationship, then maybe person A and B are able to go out and have like something brief, right? Or have sex or other different things where I think with polyamory is more of a situation where you're actually having relationships, right? Like deep rooted relationships. And it's almost like, you know, you're able to do stuff with a lot of people, but it's kind of like an honest or ethical way of doing it, right? Whereas, well, you know what I mean? It's like that framework allows you to become involved with other people. And as she said, that big misconception that it's not about sex. I think she, you know, sex is a part of it. Mm -hmm. However, it's also in addition to you're actually having or people are looking for other meaningful relationships in addition to the one that they're in with the first person. So I think that's where a lot of people maybe seem like, well, it's controversial because you're you're just having sex and you're you're all over the place where it's you right. know, people, at least the the way she explained it and, and from what I've uh, read about is that there are meaningful relationships that are taking place within the whole thing and the whole framework. I mean, that was my understanding from how they explained it, too. And, you know, they were kind of called, I mean, they were classifying it as, you know, like ethical non-monogamy. Right. You know, so obviously you're talking about people that are consenting to, you know, to, you know, that approach. Right. Um, one thing I felt that was interesting that I wanted to ask you about was the fact that um, Jada has said she was like, most people practice monogamy because they feel like they have no other choice. So I'm not asking you, I'm asking you what your opinion on that is, right? Um, and do you think that would change if you, if you ask males or females? I feel like it's, if you're traditionally people operate in the, the monogamy relationship. So I feel like they don't have any other choice. It's like, hey, I'm gonna be in this relationship with this person to abide by those relationship standards 
or you know that framework then no you don't have any other choice right it's like i'm with this person that kind of goes to the um what's the uh the the term or the phrase that they used to say like you're gonna be with this person for the rest of your life if you get married right it's it's literally so if you're looking (laughs) of a traditional monogamous relationship then yeah i I agree with Jaden that yeah no you don't have any other choice however if you and your partner are choose to be like i guess like you said more open or you're going to practice this you know, primarily, you know, this, this type of relationship, then now you, you're about having options. And that's what the whole, this is, is rooted in is having all these other different options. And then I think it also comes to like values, right? So if you look at, that was the main thing that I like with Gammy, because when they asked Gammy, if she would ever like consider being in this, yeah. he, he was like, no, <laughs> she, right. it was a hard no too. Right. And, you know, Jada, she attributed her reasoning for her, her mom saying no to, um, she said, oh, it's a, she just practices a different type of love. I attribute it to values, right? Okay. So they have a different set of values in each one of their type of like in their their generation as far as like their family framework. So Gammy is like, listen, monogamous, this is what I was raised upon. I value being in a relationship with one person. Right. For two more generations with Willow, Willow, we're in a, a, a society where there's a lot of different lifestyles, right? It's a lot right. of different options. So tradition is there, but you don't necessarily have to roll with that. And so I imagine her values and I don't I didn't grow up in her household, but I imagine Will and Jada have been very supportive of her just trying to find herself, right? Whatever you like to do, yeah. whatever you're involved in, whatever your fancy is, whatever you know you're interested in. Will and Jada have, at least from the outside looking in, have supported that. So this is where, you know, that, that's that been her values of being flexible, being being free, finding what makes her happy. So she's going to be more into this lifestyle that is more open and it allows her to have different options. So I thought it was more you saw the different the value sets between each generation or between each woman when they were kind of going on for their reasons of practicing, you know, uh, monogamy or not. I mean, I thought it was interesting. Obviously, they're all like they're in different worlds when it comes to like how they see, you know, relationships and sexual relationships and all those kind of things. Um, But I think when you see those stark differences between the generations, I mean, I don't know, you know, what that, you know, is due to. I'm not going to just throw something out there. But, you know, it's obvious, like you said, like Jada and Willow have very different ideas of, you know, relationships and fulfillment within relationships and all of those things, right? Um, and I mean, back to like, everyone was shocked when Jada and, and, and Will had that conversation and, you know, about August Alcina and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. But think about it, like how they view those things has always been different because if you look like they've always supported their children in terms of navigating their identity, right? Um, I remember when this, when his son was, was, was finding his way, you know, and he was, he's doing all these different things with fashion, you right. know what I mean? Um, and people had all these different reactions, you know, um, and then, and, and Willow was kind of the same way in terms of her identity, you know, sexually or otherwise. Right. Right. Um, so they've always been open kind of about those things. Um, and my thing is just like, I just think like, as long as they're satisfied, like the outside judgment, obviously they're not they're not worried about anybody else. You know what I mean? So they're not hurting nobody as long as it's consensual. You know, I, I don't necessarily, obviously I don't have no, no problem with what they're doing. Like I said, it depends on whether that fits your lifestyle, right? And whether emotionally you can handle it because from the outside, people just look at it like, yeah, it's people just having a whole bunch of sex. But there's a lot of different layers that are involved in that, right? You're talking about Think about all the things that go into a relationship, you know what I mean? Other than than sex, right? That's a very small part of it. I mean, it's, it's a major part, but it's, it's a small part, you know? Um, so it's just a lot more to, to kind of consider. And I don't think like looking from the outside, I wasn't really looking at that. Um, but I had a question for you, right? Yeah. When I was reading the art, the um, study, they were talking about the findings. They had some something called first wife syndrome, right? And they were talking about like the first wives reported more family problems, like more anxiety, less self-esteem, more paranoid ideation in the second and third wives. You know what I mean? Um, And I kind of thought 
it would have been the other way around. Like I kind of thought, you know, the first, you know, the first wife might have some standing. I, I don't know. I don't really know. I'm learning about it now, right? But what do you think about that? You know, them saying that the first wives kind of kind of reported more distress. You know, um, and what, what what you think could could be behind that, if anything? No, I, I think um, in a lot of relationships and in, in, in a lot of situations where you have someone that was married, divorced, and they get remarried. And I absolutely feel like the first go around is probably a lot rougher, right? Depending on maybe where the two individuals were, mm-hmm. um, maybe if they're younger, they're just kind of starting out. Kids are younger. So it's a lot of different dynamics that are putting stress not only um, on themselves, but on the relationship, right? So if things don't work out, the second go around, usually an individual is older, maybe more established. Oh, they're talking about, bro, they're talking about the second wife that they bring into the fold. Oh, okay. All right. So you're talking on, on that side. All right. Yeah. Right. That, right. That's they're talking about else, right? the first so, wives yeah. reported as they, I guess they brought the second and third wife in, the right. first wife reported like increased anxiety, self-esteem, those things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause because that because you know because polyamory has been around for a while because that was miles for my thought process right it's been around in a in a few or a lot of different you know um, cultures and a lot of different religions right. however it's only been that men were able to practice it right, right. So like you said it was just the wife it was just you know first second third wife right and right like said, that can be very expensive because in Islam and a lot of different um, I forget the other um, as a Mormon, I don't want to misspeak, um, but I think you know whatever the show is. I know that that's based on the having the, the multiple wives and multiple families. You have to provide for them equally, either way, right? No matter right. what religion, you still have to provide for the first wife, the second wife, third wife. They all have to be equal house, car, financially, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a situation where I feel like also with since it's becoming more mainstream into you know the current culture or current society, is it? Be, is it controversial also because now women are allowed to practice it right now that women are allowed to have that option you know it's different where you have some situation oh where the man is able to do it as long as he can provide for it right it's right, not looked right. down upon but now if the woman is embracing her sexuality she's able to practice you know and, and move around and, and, and have different options then it becomes a little different right then it becomes a little controversial so getting back to your question um yeah, I can I can kind of see it because, you know, it's almost like you're the first you're the first family. Right. Mm-hmm. So things are just kind of starting out. And then, you know, there's, a, I think, a lot more stress that's involved with the first family than as opposed to when the second and third wife comes. Maybe things are a little bit more ease, you know, okay. you know, so that's what I'm thinking. I always feel like my thought process is that the first family um in a lot of different dynamics is that there's a lot more stress. There's a lot more anxiety. You're worrying about, okay, what is the other spouse thinking about? Right. I remember when we talked about relationships a couple of shows ago, it's like that those constant thoughts, right. Is, and you know, how, how's my partner doing? My, my satisfying partner, is my partner really like me, like all these other different questions coming to the fold. And then what if that, you know, your partner or the husband in these situations wants to bring in a second wife where it's just like, well, what, what would you know, like I always wonder the mindset of a first wife if the you know he's contemplating bringing in a second wife. Like, what does that what does that do to your mental state? Even though it might be part of the religion. I mean, right, and that's why I'm thinking about it. Like, I kind of understand because it's 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 a new person, right? So if if, if you're the if, if you're the first wife, then you would think all your attention would be focused on that person. Now you're bringing somebody else in, right? So naturally, your attention is going to go to that other person. And if that's a new relationship, you know, then your attention may shift in that, you know. Um, but one thing I, I wanted to ask you about that you brought up that was interesting is I think the fact that, like you said, men were the only ones that were allowed to practice it before. And now, you know, women have that same freedom, power and control, right, over their own selves and everything else, right? you know. Maybe that is why it's a little bit more controversial now where people are, are reacting to it that way, right? Um, I wonder if it wasn't Willow Smith that said it and it was like a, a young male, right? That was like, listen, well, Akon has said it for years, right? 
he, he's been practicing it for years, I believe. So, I think, um, yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, right. And I don't know if when he was talking about it, it was getting this much publicity, right? So, again, it might be confirmation bias, but it's kind of supports your point there. You know what I mean? Um, double standard, definitely. Yeah, it's unfortunate that when it comes to even in this day and age, as much as as much progress that we think we've made, I do feel like when certain uh, individuals, especially women, when you know they are able, to, you know, they're practicing that, you know, their you know female empowerment, body empowerment, image empowerment, all these other different things that have options and say, hey, I'm going to take control of my sexuality and I'm going to do this, that, and the third, you know. I do feel like it's definitely more backlash, right? I do feel like it's looked differently upon, like you said, maybe what if this was, um, what if this was the son? What if this was jaded saying like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going right. to, you know, you know, and then I don't know if it would be as shocking, like, uh, you know, like, Oh, well, what's that? Like, I don't, I don't think we would have as much of a reaction. And I, I like the, the percentage part that you mentioned with the first wise, right? Because you got to think also with your attention. So if you're used to getting 100 percent, like he's coming home to me, the family. Now you bring in wife number two, and now you're jumping to 50, right? Right. So now the anxiety. Now you're taking more. If, even if we're looking at it from a household standpoint, now a lot of that stuff that maybe you both are doing together is now falling more on you. If right. you're the new person coming in, you're already used to getting 50%. Like, if you like, you already came into it, like, oh, he already got the first wife. So I right. already, he's going to be splitting his time as opposed to now having 100%. And then now, now it's going to be cut in half. And then the third wife comes in and already like, oh, I, I already know that I'm getting 25% or, or 30 or whatever. So I think they're already, the, the, the additional wives are coming in already kind of understanding what the situation is as opposed to the first wife who's having it decrease which is going to be adjustment and probably no matter even if it's a part of the religion it's probably not going to be as you know happy about the situation right that's a fact but it's unfortunate i do think it's it's a double standard um you know for men and women as far as like these lifestyle approaches and men are allowed to be more free allowed to have these options and it's not you know looked down upon because it's been going on in a lot of different cultures for years right Right. right. So, um, but yeah, it is, uh, it was an interesting conversation, um, you know, to watch and watch it play out. So we'll, we'll stay tuned because I also wonder if this is something that she's going to continue to, you know, practice now. I mean, how, how old is Willow? She's like in her early twenties, right? But yeah, I think she's in her twenties. So I also wonder, like we've talked about in values, right? How your value system changes as you get older. Mm-hmm. So the same things that were, as important to us when we're in our early, te- you know, in our late teens, early twenties is a little different mm-hmm. once we get older. Right. Not saying sure. that, that it would change, but it is going to be interesting. I think I always interesting dynamic to see how people's values and things that are important to them, lifestyles and, and things of that nature as she gets older. So I wonder if that'll be something that she still practices even as, you know, she, she gets older, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Definitely got to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Right. Moving on, staying with the same type of topic of sexual uh, sexuality, sexual orientation, and things of that nature. Move on to a pretty popular t- topic, but it <laughs> seems to be taboo, right? No matter how way or you slice it, porn, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no there's no good way to segue or, or introduce that in a, in, a, in, a, in a soft manner, right? So we're gonna call we're gonna talk about what is pornography. So the age-old question, is watching porn harmful, right? So according to the article that came across the desk, it's not. Porn is not harmful. However, research does suggest that watching porn is more likely to be harmless for the LGBTQ individuals, non-monogamous couples, and women. So if you're outside of those three groups... It could potentially be harmful for you. So if you're using yeah, right. porn to compensate for unmet sexual needs in a relationship, porn could be harmful. If you're an individual or a couple who's highly religious or morally opposed to porn, then yeah, the porn could be harmful. Um, and if you're an adolescent who watches porn, you may learn unhealthy and unreal- unrealistic lessons about porn. 
what were your your takeaways from this? I mean, all right. I, it was a little. I was just wondering, like, why? I'm not saying why, like, men weren't included in that. Into that Same but it was thing. Just, I was like, Daddy, you know how they always used to ask us in school, like, what are the limitations of this article or the limitations of the study? I was like, boom. Yeah. What, what about the guys? Right, right. I just wanted to. I was just curious because yeah. that just seemed strange. They were like, to, first of all, for them to just say the LGBTQ community. Right. Like that just sounded a little like because I know they didn't their sample size. I mean, for them to be able to say that, I don't I don't know what it was. I mean, I didn't have time to look at it. So I'm not going to. But that's kind of what, what jumped out to me at first. Right. That that these were the groups, the three groups that they kind of you know right. pointed out. Um, looking kind of beneath the surface, I, I definitely understand when they were talking about the risk in terms of adolescence. Right. Because you know, in terms of them developing their idea of what appropriate sexual relationships are, you know, pornography could be harmful because, you know, they believe that's actually what happens, right? Where yeah. in, in terms of like sexual interactions, right? Um, very, very misleading. It's not how it goes. Right. Um, so in that, in that way, it can be harmful. I thought it was interesting when they were kind of talking about pornography and marriage, right? Um, and they were kind of saying that Obviously, it's bad when you, you know, we're like if, if there's secrecy involved, right, um, leading to feelings of guilt. But I thought the part when they were talking about mismatched libido, like I kind of had mixed feelings on that, right? Because they were talking about individuals that might have like mixed, mixed max sex drives or whatever. And one person, I guess, is watching porn to kind of satisfy, their, you know, their desires, right? Yeah. Now, they were talking about that where it would lead to dissatisfaction within the relationship. Now, I understand, I could understand that kind of on the surface, but then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, what if that person, not saying that they're doing it so that they don't cheat, you understand what I'm saying? But if then they were like, all right, well, I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to, you know, whatever gratification I get from that, I'm not going to do it no more. To me, that just heightens the chances that they're going to, be on that they might be unfaithful in that relationship or struggle with that. You right. know what I mean? If because we've already established that that person can't meet their sexual needs. You know what I mean? So I mean for me, I think if a person, especially within a marriage, if you know your partner can't meet your sexual needs and you're using pornography, I guess to to uh kind of fill the rest of the void. I don't, I don't necessarily want to classify it a responsible use, but <laughs> I mean, you know, as opposed to the other ways that you might be able, be able to fulfill your needs as some people, you know, irresponsible choices some people might make in terms of strip clubs or being in, in unfaithful or those type of things. It seems less harmful from that aspect. Let me just say it like that. Uh, yeah. For that situation, you know? Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I feel and believe that to be harm reduction. Right, because like right, there, right, there, right. There, are, there, are, there are a lot of other more extensive ways that that could go. Oh. You know, I, I, I'm thinking maybe it can be an issue in a marriage as if, okay, if one person is like you said, not getting their needs met and the other party is, is like watching porn to get their needs met. And I, and I imagine that there may be the thinking about the element like, okay, this your partner is watching porn without like in secrecy. Right. right, so maybe right. I'm thinking, okay, that's because the, the, the partner is not being front with the other partner and saying, Hey, I'm not getting my needs met. So I'm going to go sneak off with the laptop, you know, in the bathroom or something while you sleep or, you know, and, and it just kind of grows from there because it's the secrecy. So I think that's the, the lack of intimacy. That's, that's where I'm, I'm formulating where the issue is coming from. Cause then it also, I guess, turns into guilt. Maybe with the person that's sneaking off and not being forthcoming, it's like, okay, I'm not getting my needs met. So I have to seek these means as opposed to maybe if, if the couple is saying, Hey, like the libidos aren't matching up. And so I'm being upfront and telling you with, I'm, you know, and disclosing that I'm watching porn. I, I was, that's the thing I'm thinking maybe it's a sneaking off and the, and the dishonesty around it. But, you know, I didn't really feel like that was, you know, believe that that's as severe because like you mentioned there are so many other different 
way more severe negative outlets that someone could do that with the match, you know, the mismatching sex drive. I mean, I, I, I agree with that point. And I also think like the reason is important, right? That you're using pornography to fulfill that need, right? Because if the reason is again, if, a, if the reason is you're trying to fulfill a need that you haven't shared with your partner, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then then we're talking about things that you might be really feeling guilty about or shameful about, and that's a whole different thing, right? So we're not talking about if your partner finds the the, the history and they're like, oh, you know, you were you watched the movie without me. Oh, you're in you're in oh you're in looking and saying, well, what what the hell is this? You know what I mean? So you know what I'm getting at, right? Without right, being graphic. Right. So Again, then we get to, so so I think the motivation has something to do with it, right? So like you said, if you're talking about two people who are who have open communication and you have one that's telling the other, like, listen, honey, you know, I'm going to sleep. You go handle your business. You know what I mean? Right. That's one thing, right? Um, you know, but, you know, if you're out in the car, out in the shed, or, you know, you, you, <laughs> you got to erase your history, you know, but again, because you're fulfilling a sexual need that you might not be sharing with your partner, then that's other, that might, that's other issues, right? Cause you're, you're repressing certain things and you know, <clears throat> there's, there's feelings of shame and guilt and all types of things associated with that. So um, again, it's, it's very much an individual kind of situation that you got to kind of consider, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it, like you said, it, it's um, open communication and apparently even with the LGBTQ Apparently, according to the study, they have, you know, they watch more and than hetero groups and they have little to no or negative effects from it. And the story or I guess what I was thinking of was maybe just a variety of, I guess, with porn, because, you know, along with the LGBTQ community and that, I mean, again, that community is, is very it's vast. Right. And it's so many other different um, areas and populations that are included. Um, it's the same thing with porn. I mean, we're talking, having a real conversation. There are multiple areas, multiple specialties, multiple, like- Well, categories. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. So. You didn't know that? All right. No. Nah. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. This, I didn't know that, bro, but- This, this, I, this, I this is the psychoeducation right. piece, man. So, <laughs> you know, for those that don't know, there are multiple categories <laughs> of, of in, in the porn world. Um, and I think that caters to that demographic, right? There are so many different things. And so maybe that is, it's, it's op that openness that we just talked about before, where it is an outlet. It's more, you know, people are able to go in and there's no guilt associated with it, right? You're already open, you're expressive, you're embracing your sexuality, you're embracing your orientation and your lifestyle. So I, I feel like porn is, is, you know, it's an area for individuals that, that are embraced of their own sexuality. There's no shame. There's no guilt. I'm going to, you know, partake. I'm going to view whatever fits my fancy and things. So I think I can definitely, I, that's where I, I think that, you know, why there's so little negative effects from that community that watch porn. That's what I came up with. You know, I, I, I came up with the one with the adolescents, like, like you were saying is um, that was funny to me because I feel like it's a half, porn didn't have like you get you get unhealthy and unrealistic lessons also from your peers right because we also know that as 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 kids man like you know it's your peers are the most influential in your mm -hmm. life right and even speaking from personal experience man like just the stories that you know when we would talk to each other like oh yeah you gotta do this and this <laughs> man, none of that stuff true it was terrible yeah. it was not yeah. accurate it relies and I feel like that's a good percentage in addition to, yeah, if you're watching porn and thinking about, okay, this is what a relationship is or this is what sex looks like. In addition to that, it's, it's very misleading. But then also the, the advice and the conversations you have with your friends are terrible, right? Right. <laughs> or are not, are not reality-based or are not realistic. It will also have you like have a, a complete, you know, misconception of what sex looks like. No, that's a fact. Um so listen, I got a question, right? Because they made an interesting point in this article and they were saying, like, why is it that they were saying that non-monogamous people were more skilled and open about discussing their sexual needs and desires in a non-shaming way? Non-monogamous people, 
when monogamous people should have the security, right? I would think, I would assume. Yes. Or in comfort. So why would they say that? I mean, yes and no. I, I feel like with non-monogamous, it's you're free, right? Again, it's that element of, of being able to embrace and being free and say, hey, I'm into this. I like this. You know, having, you know, you don't know how many times, right? And you would probably have a conversation. Like I've seen, like, you know, when speaking with clients and even though you could be married with somebody for somebody for a long period of time. And I, and I, I would love to get Ashley. I got to, you know, next time we have her on, I would love to get her, her input on this also. But even though you're married for a long period of time, mm-hmm. like there might be some things. And again, porn has many different categories, right? So there might be an area where your, your spouse or your partner might be into something that might be less, What's, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't want to say favorable, but like might be looked down upon, you know, in her social group or her or his social group, right? So there might right. be something that like, okay, honey, I'm into this, but I don't want to tell you I'm I like this or this was my fancy because you may the shame will come into it or the guilt or you see what I mean. So I feel like those are part of those honest conversations that I a lot of monogamous couples probably aren't having about. Right their sexual desires. And that might contribute to why the libido or why the sexual desires aren't being fulfilled anyway. Because if you're like, hey, honey, I'm into this, like you maybe you're in the, the dominatrix type stuff and right. you know, you're not expressing that or you're like shamed, ashamed to bring it up and communicate that to your spouse, then yeah, your sexual needs are not going to be fulfilled because there's always something that you you're not getting. And then, you know, even though you're monogamous with her, it's like, okay, you're, you know what I mean? You're not open to that communication. I mean, I listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I don't I don't get that part of it. Right. Especially if you're in a committed relationship, especially if you're in a marriage, only because that person has your social security number. I, I'm not trying to be funny. That's more personal than anything sexual you might ever want. <laughs> That's your, your, you know, they got your social security number. They got your bank account and you don't want to tell them that you like bondage if that's what you like. So you're going to go your whole life being being denied that pleasure if that's your pleasure. To me, again, I think we get back to the foundation of why people are engaging in relationships, right? Right. Because if your partner cannot fulfill you sexually, I mean, listen, you can be the most like, intellectually stimulating person in the world, right? At some point, biologically, that person's body's going to be on fire. Biologically, bro, yeah. it's going to happen, right? right. So right. if the person that's stimulating your mind or you got all that intellectual conversation can't pleasure you that way, I'm not saying that you're out the door. You know what I mean? But there has to be some type of, you, you know what I mean? There has to be some type of compromise in terms of, most people view their role as, you know, wanting to be in a position where they please their partner. Right. You know what I mean? So, of course, you don't, you don't, you, you wouldn't put somebody in a position where they're uncomfortable. But most people will stretch in terms of what you know they they will do or not do or or, or um, experiment with, not experiment with when it comes to the to their partner. So. That's why I said I found I, I find it strange because if you're gonna give somebody your social security number, have a hundred bills with them, you know what I'm saying, have kids with them, you don't want to tell them, you know what, like what you like, you'll tell them all. It's a it's a very counterintuitive dynamic, Jay. Um, but it's practiced a lot because again, how many situations has it been? Like you just brought it up, where the spouse or the partner finds the laptop or the phone and they see the history and you're like, what? You're, you're, you're into this. You do, you like this, right? Because I think the shame or the guilt or just the, Hey, you know, I think certain things aren't these, these folks are not as comfortable, which is a shame, right? Because like you said, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, you should be able to be open. You should be able to have these conversations without worrying about whether your partner is going to judge you or they're going to look at you with the side face or, or anything. It's You should be able to have these conversations. But unfortunately, there are a lot of relationships and even more unfortunate, there are marriages that are happening, marriages that have been going on for years where you still got people you know, hiding what their what their sexual desires or what their interests are from their, their their partner due to 
whatever fear or concerns that we've talked right. about. And, it, and it's unfortunate because it, it continues to grow in more maladaptive, you know, ways that are going to are going to be really detrimental for the marriage or for the relationship. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it or be in that situation also because but, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are are in those circumstances. Man. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, I think it's probably one of those things also where it's one of those things that's probably reflected in several areas of, of a person's life, right? Like if they're not assertive about this need sexually, then it's probably other areas that they like they're not as assertive, you know? Um, so, you know, I could understand it. Um, but again, when we engage in, you know, monogamous relationships, long-term relationships, I mean, yeah, that, that's one, one thing you got to kind of try to, put on the table for lack of a better term, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, like you said, it, it's gotta be on the table. It's gotta be, hey, you know, as you get more comfortable with the person, especially if this is gonna be someone you wanna share your life with, you're gonna make it legal and official. Right. You should definitely be, you know, as close as compatible as far as like with, with you know, sexually, where you're able to say, hey, I can share this with my, my partner or what I'm into and not, um, you know, because it's, you know, like you said, you got the intellectual piece, you got the emotional piece, but the physical piece is very important. The sexual piece right. is very important in, in the relationship or marriage. So uh, I don't know. I hope, just, you know. Hey, man, that's interesting, man. But, it you is. know. It is. All right. So moving forward. Um, another article came across our came across our desk and there was a writer. um who um, distributed this piece and she works primarily with helping people access uh, grieving resources. Right. So this, this writer uh, shared an email that she, that she received. Um, and the email goes like this. Why is your site only for people of color? I guess you must grieve differently than old, than an old white man, disgusting and racist. So she provides people of color with unique support and with necessary uh, information when these um, people of color are, are, are in grief or they've lost somebody or, in, or important. So uh, this is something that she takes pride in and that she enjoys. And so the question is, do people of color grieve differently, Dr. J? I mean, listen, I'm going to be very honest. Like when I first read this, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I thought the email was excessive, you know what I yeah. mean? But when I, when I, you know, when I first read this, yeah. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, grief, you know, grief is grief, right? So, but this is just my first thought, right? But reading through the article, she had some good and valid points, right? Um, now, I understand what she was talking about in terms of, like people of color, especially in the context that we're talking about, like today's, you know, um, environment, you know, um, and talking about black males being killed. Right. It's kind of like that sense of, you know, where we're all kind of unified in that struggle. And one person grieves every, you know, everybody grieves when, when males of color, you know, whether they're black, Latinx are killed. Right. But unarmed males. So she was kind of talking about that. Um, and about how those kind of things, you know, trigger feelings inside of us, right? In terms of safety in our communities and our homes and dealing with the police. So I, I totally understand her from that standpoint, right? Because it's, I've had days, right, where I remember when Walter Scott in South Carolina when he was shot, right? And they, I'm watching coverage all day long, right? And then I'm driving home and I'm anxious, I don't know why, right? And, and these are the things she, she's talking about, right? Um, and then she was, you know, other things she was talking about in terms of the, you know, trauma that we have stored in, inside our body. So I think she was making some good points. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have trouble kind of understanding, you know, the point she's making. Mm -hmm. um, but she just said, you know, we, we grieve a little differently, you know? Um, and in the context that she was talking about with racial injustice and, you know, in terms of our communities and all of those things, um, I, I think she was making good points. Which, what, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, um, one, I, di I didn't think the email that she received was disgusting or racist. Um, I felt like that's an extreme reaction. I mean, people 
are entitled to feel um, and express their emotion in any way form. I just, I felt like that was, you know, um, a little extensive. Um, absolutely. Um, when we're talking about uh, a collective grief, like due to all the public killings of, of black people, right. yeah, there are absolutely some, some nuances there that we are grieving differently. Um, you know, along with viewing something um, like the Walter Scott, like the Greg Floyd, like uh, any of these things, like, no, there is a sense of like despair. When I watch something like that, when an event like that takes place, it's like we're also dealing with a sense of despair for the reason that a lot of people, myself included, like you just mentioned in, um, in your example, like we, we feel that sense of hopelessness and helplessness. Right. So it's not like, oh, this person just lost their life. It's this person lost their life who looks just like me. And no matter, you know, I have to live live with the fear of loss. Like you said, you're driving in your car and you're looking, you know, you're anxious. Like you're you're experiencing this anxiety. You're just being in your car because you know what? No matter what precautions, no matter what things we put in place, I still feel like, you know what, I'm not gonna be able to keep myself safe. Right. right. I feel like this this sense of helplessness and hopelessness that I can't keep myself safe. I can't keep my kids safe. Right. I can tell her everything what to do if you get pulled over from the cops. And and we know people that are, are police. Right. We have good friends that are, are are cops and everything. So this is no, you know, hatred or no, no, not trying to throw mud on them because I know they're good individuals. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, I can tell her everything to, hey, make sure you have everything on the dashboard, make sure you don't, to make sure the music's down, all these other different precautions to put in place and how to operate when you get pulled over. And right. I, there's still that sense of despair, like just that situation could go left, right. right? We just saw the verdict come out a couple of weeks ago and that very same day, we saw a video of a 16 year old getting shot, right? right? So, and along the way of the court thing, there were other different incidents we, you know, that we had talked about on previous episodes that were coming out. So I feel like, especially when you're having this, the collective grief situation, there are some nuances that, you know, unfortunately are particularly relevant and salient to us that other people aren't experiencing, you know? So I think that's those. That's just one thing that I feel like is is absolutely you know selling to our community as far as our grief as well as opposed to you know maybe a white individual who uses the same thing and they're not going to experience that because they're not in that place. I mean, I, again, I, I I think that's a fact, right? Um, and especially now in these times, um, one thing she was saying, I think she made a good point when she was talking about grief can activate like underlying trauma for people of color, right? Yeah. Um, that's a big that, that that's 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 a big statement. Um, and she was just talking about grief is often a shared experience, you know, so it's like I understand. Right. Because we all was hurting when Trayvon Martin was, was killed and he all the way down in Florida. Right. All the way down across the country. You know, of course, I'm you know, I'm being extreme, but I'm just saying, like, we felt that as a community. You know what I mean? There was there, there was a whole the Black Lives Matter movement to an extent was formed out of that, right? Um, so if that's not an example of, of a community experiencing grief together and then doing something about it, you know, or trying to do mobilize and do something about it, I don't know what is, right? Um, so again, I don't think a lot a lot of people are gonna understand it. Um, but I think she made some good points. You know? Yeah, totally. And even like to your point when the black lives matter when that when that took place and and began to you know gain momentum because of all of these killings i mean that's it's like the grieving process that we're all we're all familiar with gets disrupted because now it's a call to action so as opposed to being able to go through the stages of grief being able to process to rest all these other different things that are a luxury for some people when someone passes we see some no we're, we're called to action we have to get up and we have right. to protest because we can't continue to have for this to continue to happen right we have to protest we have to get into activism role role and that disrupts because so while we're at while we're protesting while we're fighting we're not grieving right, right? So it interrupts the piece. And then I feel like, especially in, in this collective, you know, realm that we're, that we're all grieving together, I feel like our stage of acceptance turns into survival, right? 
It turns into a piece where now we have to go into survival mode because of what's happening, right? It's not just acceptance that this person passed. It's someone that looks like us, someone that we share an identity with. Now we have to go into survival mode of how we're going to be able to move through and go through the rest of our daily activities, you know, in that manner. So it's like it, those nuances. And again, like a lot of people probably at first glance are going to maybe be taken aback or not understand. But hopefully they're, they're open to understanding the other dynamics that are included when you right. as we're experiencing. There are some nuances that are we have that we're experiencing that another group of people aren't experiencing. So, yeah, we're absolutely grieving differently. And I'm happy that you have someone that is providing me the resources that are unique to, you know, to us. Because it's it, it's there's another dynamic. There are other different layers that are other considerations that we have to factor in. Like you said, I mean, I think that's a good point that you that you brought up in terms of like the call to action. Right. Because. When you said that, I kind of looked back and I was like, well, man, like since Trayvon Martin was killed, have we had any time to grieve at all? Because because people keep more people keep getting killed one after another. man. Right. So. No, I don't think we've had any time to grieve. You know what I mean? It, it, you in a heightened you know, sense of alert and then and then you feel like your own personal safety is jeopardized. So, again. You know, that's her point exactly, right? People of color experience, you know, grief differently because I think a good point that she was making is, you know, other groups that aren't necessarily minority groups or marginalized groups, when they lose somebody, you know, it doesn't necessarily transition into, well, should I get in my car and go to the gas station? Because they might stop me and kill me too on my block. Or they might shoot through my my front door if I'm Brianna Taylor and kill me while I'm sleeping in my bed or in my house. Right. It, it, so, it affects yeah, our daily activities, like you were saying. Like, like you, right. you said it a couple of times, like, well, if something's happening, someone's breaking into my house, I'm now cautious about even calling the cops. Yeah. How, how do I know that if someone's, something's going on, they're not going to come and, and shoot me in my own crib? Is, is Bro, not even to cut you off, there was a, there was a guy, and I don't, I don't know his name right now, there's a guy, he survived, but he was on in critical condition two weeks ago. There was a fight at his house. He called the cops. Same way that 16-year-old girl called the cops. He was outside with a on the with a cell phone. And they shot him and said they thought the phone was a gun. <laughs> Listen, this is the this is where we're at. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, who gonna call the cops after that? You understand what I'm saying? Um, so again, she has a lot of good points. A lot of people aren't going to understand, but you know, most people who won't, you know, they're not really listening. Exactly. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned. But it was definitely a good article. Um, got a, I'm glad we got a chance to uh, to take a look at that and, and review it. All right, and staying along with the uh, subject of race. So uh, the United States University's debating championship. Okay, so pretty much that's a debating uh, organization where colleges from all across the nation come together. They debate. uh, They have the debating contest. I'm not going to act like I'm this, you know, debating savant or guru because I don't I don't watch (laughs) it. But, um, you know, you have some pretty intelligent people that, you know, if you make the debate team, you're doing well. You know, you're you're absolutely, uh, you know, most likely a stellar student. So earlier this month or earlier last month, uh, the Morehouse College team, shout out to HBCUs, of course. Uh, Unfortunately, during the the competition or during the tournament earlier last month, the Morehouse was subjected to racist uh, taunts from the opposing team. So these opposing these taunts were in the form of uh, the opposite teams were using racist caricatures on, on one of the students' voices when they were talking. Um, when they're, they were told to turn off because this was a virtual event, right? So when the Morehouse team, when they were talking and a- answering the questions, the other teams were turning their cameras on. And again, that's prohibited because it's a, it's a virtual format of the debate. Um, when speaking, people were laughing. They were talking, rolling their eyes. And again, the racist caricatures uh, speaks volumes. Um, with that. So this is what was going on. 
when when Morehouse when they were uh, answering their question, they were up for their for their team and for their categories. So they actually made the judges aware of what was going on, right? And mm-hmm. so the judges also dismissed the arguments of the Morehouse team when they and awarded points to the other team um, regarding other different topics that were being argued, right? So along the narrative uh, gentrification, Morehouse believed that the argument was not, their argument wasn't being heard. And so, um, you know, so Morehouse, what they decided to do, they decided to pull out from the tournament. And um, as a result of them pulling out, because they weren't, you know, uh, the judges and and the the equity team who um, they're in charge of racial equality, sexual equality, and discrimination, and those things. When the issues, Morehouse brought these issues to the the organization's equity team, they promised to release a statement addressing the issue and uh, during the next round, but that didn't happen. The equity team dropped the ball on that and they didn't um, issue any type of uh, issue regarding um, the statement. So Morehouse made the decision to pull out of the tournament, which prompted other schools to pull out of the tournament. Or out of the tournament. So that was Spelman, uh, Clemson, and Vanderbilt. And as a result of that, the result, the rest of the tournament was canceled, and a public forum was held um, for the students and judges from all across the country, and they were able to voice their discomfort and their stories of racism throughout um, throughout their years of debate. So. Um, I'm gonna kick to you, Jay. What, what were your, your your thoughts about this? I had some pretty strong reaction. I mean, again, this is entitlement, right? By these kids, this is entitlement, um, microaggressions, of course, um, overt racist statements, of course, right? Um, we gonna you we you find this a lot, right? Especially when it comes to higher education, right? Mm-hmm. People, certain groups of people like to claim things as their own, right? And obviously, again, we've been in situations like this, right? So what I would assume probably occurred is them brothers from Morehouse probably presented themselves very well. They were probably, they were well prepared. We don't even have to speculate on that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Exactly. So and we, and, and, and we, and, and we know the women of Spelman were, were, were prepared as well, right? So there's intimidation that comes with that. I'm gonna be very honest. Mm-hmm. You know, HBCUs we come from are giants, so we can focus on the microaggressions and the disrespect. I'm gonna tell you straight up. I feel like they was just scared, right? That's the only reason why you do all that. Why you're mocking people how they speak and messing with the camera is because them brothers from Morehouse came and they was, they probably looked clean, they was articulate, and they knew they stuff, and they got intimidated, and they do with any entitled brats do right <laughs> they, they do this right racist caricatures of voices turning off the cameras laughing rolling eyes you know what i mean and all i'm saying is and i'm not implying anything you know violence in any way but all i'm saying is i doubt if they were all in the same room they would have did the same thing you understand mm-hmm. so this is these are entitled brats and on another level they're cowards so that's all I have to say about it. I, I take my hat off for Morehouse for standing up. Definitely got to give Clemson, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, Spellman, you know, for standing up. And listen, they got the desired outcome because the tournament got canceled. The equity team was supposed to handle that. They dismissed them, right? So what you do is you use your power. You step off. The whole tournament got canceled. And you see how they had to address it, right? They held a public forum where judges and students spoke about past racist incidents. So the the kids from, the the young men from Morehouse, their actions were praised, right? They they got actually support. You know, if they were to tell me they held a public forum and a bunch of people was complaining, you know, that that, Morehouse got it wrong, that's not what happened. You have basically what you have in a lot of situations that we've all been in higher education, right? When the opportunity comes, you have all the students and alumni talking about all the problems that they had to do, that everybody else swept under the rug or didn't care about. And all of this, I think how they put it was the correct way because they quoted either Edwards or Strickland and he was saying, it's not even about what they did today. It's about anti-blackness within the debate space. Period. 
So I'm sure if you talk to them, they've been dealing with microaggressions for years going to these contests and these, you know, debates. They just had enough. Yeah, because yeah, these these aren't isolated experiences or incidents. This has been going on for God knows how many years. And it was more significant for them to stand up and be like, look, you know what? We're not even going to continue doing this because we know this is going to go on for even more rounds, right? Right. I'm pretty sure they were probably, you know, I'm going to call it what it is. Like Morehouse was probably in there kicking ass, man. They were probably right. doing doing what they do. Right. And, you know, a situation that this was going to continue on because when they brought it to the judges, obviously it wasn't anything being done about it. So right. it was more significant. I mean, more important and significant for them to stand up and say, look, we're not going to take any more of this and pull out of it. Because now that's going to raise the issue of it right now. That's going to bring awareness. And, you know, in, in my review of all this, to me, Morehouse Spellman and, and shout out to Clemson and Vanderbilt for their support. They had more integrity than the, than the whole organization. Right. Right. Because it's a situation where it's like, no, we're not going to deal with this, this, this level of, you know, of, of disrespect. Like they showed to me a level of siblinghood that, you know, that 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 speaks volumes. And it's a situation I, I really, this is right out of the, uh, like you said, the we're intimidated playbook, right? So let's, let's play the card. Let's, let's, let's do the, throw them off their game and start still the racist yeah. out there. Let's do the racist characters. Let's do all these other different things because this is right out the thing. Y'all bring the heat. So this is what we're going to do. We got to, we got to pull out the, uh, the cheap shot playbook. This is because this is what, and, we're, I, this, and I'm not trying to privilege is going to protect, is going to protect us. I'm not trying to disrespect nobody, but. These people is from these kids are from the University of Hawaii. Oh man, you understand? And I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect the University of Hawaii, but we're talking about Morehouse. This is we're talking about giants, legends. So obviously they had no idea what they who they was dealing with, right? So I, I'll excuse them for their ignorance, but not for their action, you know. And all I'm gonna say is they got a dose of what they deserve, right? The school had to put out a statement, had to back off from it. All of these things. Why? Because they're embarrassed. Because the students may may not know who they was dealing with. But I bet you everybody at that school know the great Morehouse and what they've done. Right? There's no question. Morehouse, Spelman, Vanderbilt, and Clemson pull out of something. You got major problems. You got major problems, and they got what they deserve. And and I'm glad that Morehouse flexed their power like that. Um, and more importantly, I'm glad they stood up and listened. I would expect for them to be some changes because there's going to be a light shined on this next Absolutely. year. And even even their uh, the backpedaling and the damage control was was subpar and terrible because oh, yeah. the University of Hawaii was like, oh, the the group involved is not officially part of the University of Hawaii, <laughs> and they're not a part of our school, our department. They're not even a registered student organization. They don't have a faculty advisor. How are you from? What, what? Wait, how right. are you from the University of Hawaii? But then the kids are not from the University of Hawaii and they're not a part of the, the school and registered student organization. Come on. Come Listen, on. man. You know, they like, moonwalking, they moonwalking backwards, but it's okay. You know, they rolled out the regular. Now, first of all, you know they wouldn't have said that if they would have won the tournament. This is what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> so that is my point. Exactly. Let them so they backslide it. now. Oh, man. It's all good. <laughs> it wasn't even a good backslide. It was a terrible yeah, move. Man. You know? Yeah, man. Um, and absolutely. Like, I'm happy that they are going to shine light on this situation because this has gone on for far too long. Um, they, you know, they didn't know who they were messing with in the beginning of that tournament, but they found out, which is why, you know, we had to resort to these, these little cheap parlor tricks to try to throw them off their game. And that's like, you know, you know Spellman and Morehouse, they're not going for that. And, and so absolutely, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be, you know, highlighted and the light needs to be shown. No, things need to change within this, this organization, you know, and, it, and it's, right. it's almost like the situation that backfired on them, right? Because they were probably thinking that, you know, Morehouse is just going to fold. They're going to, you know, make, nah, you know what, we're going to take a stand. And at the end of the day, nobody won. Like, you see what I mean? Right. Like at the end of the day, your, your antics and your behavior now nobody went. Now there is no tournament. Right. So, um, but absolutely, you know, again, this shows all the integrity. This shows all, all the power and all the, you know, um, for, for Morehouse and Spellman. And 
you know, I couldn't be even more proud to be an HBCU alum. So, um, oh, yeah. They represented them well in a very professional manner. They were articulate with the statement that they put out and, you know, their issues. And, you know, it's this is this is what they do. This is their pedigree. So, I mean, listen, uh, you, know, you know, I'm always back to uh, HBCU, so I'm not going to say nothing else about it. I'm just, listen, I was proud when I was reading this, just proud. And then the statement Spellman put out, uh, I was I was proud of that, too. Yeah. We're not going to let you disrespect our brothers. Nah. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. The sibling so, hood is strong. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You know, Good so, moment. Absolutely. So, you know, we'll, we'll stay, stay tuned. Um, Anything else you got coming across your desk, Dr. J, you want to get off? Uh, nothing, man. Just, um, of course, we want to thank everybody for listening. Um, please continue to comment. We appreciate every single like, every comment, um, and every person that subscribed. So, um, please, we're going to keep putting uh, content out every week. We appreciate the support, and that's about it. Just thank you. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um you know, happy early Mother's Day. If we don't, uh, the next episode might be a little bit after. So we just definitely want to shout out and acknowledge all the moms, all the god moms, all the grandmoms, you know, uh, Mama J. Absolutely happy early Mother's Day. Um, so, um, you know, we appreciate everybody listening. Keep the comments and the feedback coming because, again, we want to talk about things that are important to you that you have going on in your life and things and topics that you want to, you know, have discussed. We're all open to that. So, again, episode 12. Appreciate the support, everyone. Dr. J, Dr. Kyle, signing off. All right, bro. All right, man.